Next Chapter Podcast. Somewhere on an anonymous suburban street, in an otherwise nondescript house, a group of roped cultists chant in unison. While their neighbors watch Reagan-era television, something darker stirs within the home. In the basement, there sits an altar covered with the blood of a recently slaughtered farm animal. The chanting reaches a crescendo, and in a flash of brimstone, there appears a large goat-headed figure. It caresses the face of the priest, who summons it and speaks in an unearthly voice. You have summoned me, my child, the Prince of Darkness. To advance the goals of evil in this world, you must go into the comic book and heavy metal business. After a pause, the priest speaks. Uh, what? Then we'll use the CIA to infiltrate preschools across the country. For evil. I want to touch me some kids. Oh man, what the fuck? Welcome back to Indecent, the show where we peel at the wallpaper of polite society and NSFW meets LMAO. This week, while God is love, hating is Satan. <laughs> what you just heard wasn't just the little Halloween radio play. It's the entirely fake scenario that lived rent-free in the heads of parents, police officers, and politicians in the 1970s and 80s. This week, we're talking all about... Satanic Panic. That's right, several generations before QAnon picked up the torch of satanic pedophile conspiracy theories, a big chunk of the American public was totally convinced that they were surrounded by covert devil worshippers. And of course, these violent cultists were hell-bent on molesting all the sweet defenseless kids. We already talked about how powerful public outrage can be last time when I spoke with marketing guru Katie Martell about brands trying and failing to latch onto social movements. Most companies looked at the growing popularity of social movements over the past decade and said, ooh, PR opportunity. And most brands were woefully unprepared for the kind of insight they would have to do. You've got consumers calling out brands for their bad behavior. So now companies have to be on the defensive. But while anger goes a long way, nothing riles up the masses quite like fear. Authorities tell us that the most serious or perhaps the most dangerous kind of devil worship comes in the form of underground cults. An eyewitness said the victim was forced to pray to Satan as he was repeatedly stabbed to death. No matter how you cut it, they're propagating Satan. In 1994, the New York Times reported that more than 12,000 documented accusations had been made nationwide about mass satanic cult conspiracies, usually involving kids. You want to guess how many the cops were able to verify? Zero! Zip! None! Zilch! Seriously, none of these allegations uncovered a massive secret cult. I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, you're not living under a rock. You get it! This society is filled with all kinds of conspiracy hoaxes and just downright bullshit. I mean, the blind side turned out to be a scam, and if we can't believe the plot of a Sandra Bullock movie, who can we trust? Let's go blow this guy. Not unlike The Blind Side, the 70s and 80s satanic panic started pretty simply, somebody just trying to cash in on a book deal. The book in question for the satanic panic was written by Canadian psychiatrist Lawrence Padzer, and it was about the supposedly repressed memories of his psychiatric patient, Michelle Smith. By the way, Michelle Smith wasn't just his patient, she eventually became his wife. 
So a red fucking flag there, pal. Warning. Titled Michelle Remembers, the book claimed to be about the sessions between the two of them, which revealed that Michelle's parents had been part of a satanic sect that predated the Christian church. Michelle's claims were fucking wild. She said she had been involved in ritual sacrifices of human beings, rubbed with blood and body parts, locked in cages, and had even seen Satan himself summoned. Experts at the time were immediately suspicious, especially because Michelle claimed that she was able to defeat this centuries-old conspiracy, including her parents, when she was only five years old. If the devil can get his ass kicked by a toddler, what are we even really afraid of here? Hello. Well, the more investigation was done, the more it was shown to be totally made up. Not that it mattered. Within a few years, the book became a sensation. Pazdar even traveled to the Vatican to discuss his research with Catholic scholars, who just like, kinda took the stuff at face value, I guess. Seems like it was a good business though, since as of 2018, the Vatican was charging almost 400 schmackaroos per class on how to become an exorcist. If anyone was wondering, my Venmo is at Kiki Comedy, and I am looking to further my education. The power of Christ compels you! While they are not cannibalistic monsters bent on destruction, there are actually Satanists in the US. On the one hand, there are theistic Satanists, who basically think the devil is just like one of a bunch of different gods, including our boy Yahweh from the Bible. And honestly, they sound pretty boring. The other side of real-life Satanism is a little closer to what you might see depicted on a church billboard in the Deep South. Called Levayan Satanism, it's named after spooky season Hall of Famer Anton LaVey. Anton was originally a musician in San Francisco, and he stood out, probably because he was like so on brand all the time. First of all, he drove around town in a coroner's van. He kept a pet black leopard named Zoltan, and he gave lectures on the occult. Occultism is a sort of do-it-yourself god kit in whatever form it takes. On April 30th, 1966, he ritualistically shaved his head, allegedly in the tradition of ancient executioners, and declared the founding of the Church of Satan. When you look closely, it seems like LaVey was more L. Ron Hubbard than Sauron in training. When FBI agents interviewed him in 1980, they reported that LaVey's interest in the Church of Satan is strictly from a monetary point of view. <laughs> no fucking way. Well, duh. So how are Americans so certain there are unholy forces lurking behind every corner? Why is fear of the Dark Lord such a successful tool for getting folks on board with crazy ideas? And what happens when constant paranoia becomes more palatable than reality to huge groups of people? Since we all know the devil is in the details, we decided to summon a true expert to fully explore the causes and impacts of satanic panic and how it still affects us today. Joining us this week is Chelsea Weber-Smith, writer and host of American Hysteria, a podcast that investigates moral panics, urban legends, conspiracy theories, and hoaxes. And they opened our eyes to a whole world of weirdness. All right, Chelsea Weber-Smith, thank you so much for joining us. I'm so excited to be here, Kiki. Thank you. So, Chelsea, you cover talking about satanic panic, but all kinds of moral panics fall under the indecent umbrella. Definitely. I feel like it's a perfect topic for not talking about at the dinner table. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that's our slogan. Thank you. Somebody listened to our podcast. Exactly. <laughs> Bring it in. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, okay. So let's use satanic panic as our big example here because QAnon is a hard one because nobody really knows who the hell Q is, is what I understand. Yeah. But, but yeah. satanic panic has like a clear following a clear enemy. So how does something like that get started? Somebody feels threatened and they go, Satan! Or like, who, who, how are these movements started? Who's pointing the figure? 
And I guess my mm-hmm. the third mm-hmm. part of that question is like, who's following it? You know, who are the leaders, who are the creators, and who are the followers? So the satanic panic really got started in the 70s, but it really bloomed in the 1980s and 90s. Um, And I think we can look at the satanic panic as a backlash to the permissiveness of the 1970s. I generally say that the satanic panic really started with the Manson family. (laughs) We say all roads lead back to the Manson family in American hysteria because it's like that was a major event. I mean, it's more major than I think we uh, even give credit for because it was like basically the newspaper said this is a satanic ritual right it's the same time that that anton levey is doing all this like very campy satanism right he's like writing the first books on satanism forming a church of satan and doing all these things that are like not super serious but like more like transgressive like oh we're gonna stand up to the religious people who are already like grasping their pearls and we're going to, you know, create this satanic religion basically as like a gag. Um, not to say that, you know, there wasn't So this like guy wasn't malicious. Genuine just- beliefs. No, I mean, every man in the 70s was malicious in some <laughs> way. But, you know, it was like, no, he wasn't like, I'm, he wasn't into Satan in a literal way. It was more like, uh, you know, they created principles that are still used today in like quote unquote satanism which has very little to do with like actual satan and more to do with the belief that like everybody has autonomy and everybody you know do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law like do what you want but don't harm others um is like you know satanism is not actually scary um right so this but, guy was just yeah. like kind of trolling kind of an anarchist yeah yeah yes yeah and and very like fun to hang out with like through rad parties so like celebrities were going to his house right like people really liked him sammy davis jr um who else sammy davis jr that is a curveball (laughs) no i know right and so yeah he got like kind of wrapped into it like he was uh called a Satanist, right? And so, you know, you start with that and then you start getting movies, you get Rosemary's Baby, you get The Exorcist, you get this like new obsession with like almost Catholic horror. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so it's it's like the thing we think about a lot on our show is like how, like we think of like America almost like putting America on like the psychiatrist's couch and be like, okay, like, is this like what sparked this yes but like what were the conditions that like the spark like caught on fire right like why did you know the exorcist come out when it did why is it remembered so well like why did the manson family have such a great effect and obviously it's like a wild crime but a lasting effect to the point of like the hippie becoming an actual like villain in culture whereas hippies before were not like bloodthirsty murderers but then when you had this opportunity to call a group that you already don't like hippies satanic murderers you're going to take that you know you're going to take that opportunity right so the pendulum swings right in our culture so we have this permissive decade everybody freaks out at how permissive it got and at times it didn't get too permissive. Um, and then we have, you know, Reagan gets elected, evangelical voters become like a huge important voting block. And that's when 
like all these things that happened in the 70s lead into a time when America's like ready to panic about Satan. Then we start to get weird stories of like toys being possessed, like Dungeons and Dragons. You've heard this before that Dungeons and Dragons was like a game that kids were like being indoctrinated with by <laughs> Satanists. I hadn't they heard were, like, that. Burning, but I love yeah, it. <laughs> burning Dungeons and Dragons. Um, all these pastors are talking about the evils of like virtually every part of culture and how Satan's like controlling children with cartoons, books, toys. You know, it's kind of like how we hear Harry Potter is like satanic, right? Because there's witchcraft in it. That was like the backwards records in the 80s. Like if you turn them backwards, Satan, you could hear Satan talking. Like, oh, but we you... heard that in like the 2000s. It was like, oh, Britney right. Spears yeah. is, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's like yeah. The oh, hidden yeah. meanings or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Britney Spears is a great example of this kind of, especially <laughs> now with all the conspiracy theories around her. Um, but yeah, so it's like, it kind of gets fun. Like that's like the fun part of the satanic panic is like, you know, parents freaking out about toys is always kind of funny. Um, but then you also get the this like onslaught of recovered memories in therapy of like people being like, I was abused by Satanists. And then, you know, these like dubious therapy methods that people are like recovering memories that didn't actually happen that are like almost impossible. And then you get like the satanic panic around children in daycares, which like leads to the most expensive trial in American history with these women that were apparently witches because kids said that, you know, they were flying around the room and they were sacrificing horses in the classroom. And, you know, they were like abusing children in ways like putting them in kiddie pools full of tiny sharks and flying them to islands to be abused by other Satanists. And this is like going to trial. And it's like there's not a shred of physical evidence. And yet, we're like putting people on trial based on, you know, and what ended up happening was we discovered that therapists who already believed that these things were happening were kind of like unintentionally helping children to make these accusations that were so like wild. And it gets so complicated. At one point, they like the police literally dug up an abandoned lot because somebody said that they saw Satanists sacrificing like all these babies, like the minute they were born. It was like this weird, like impregnant, like pregnancy line of baby sacrifices. And they literally like dug up an abandoned lot looking for this evidence. Not there, but like America believed, like not just conservatives. Oprah was like a huge satanic panic person, always not having Oprah. people on. Oh, oh, Oprah is a moral panic machine. <gasps> God love her. But most moral panics have some element of Oprah <laughs> involved in them. And Geraldo, um, the talk show host of the 80s, like, you know, it was just like a big normal thing. It was like satanic cults were everywhere. Um, and yet there was never any actual evidence of any satanic crimes other than people after the fact being like, yeah, I'm a Satanist, thinking maybe that would help their case or, you know, it, it get them a cover on a magazine, which did happen. And so, you know, it's like carries through the 90s. And then you get people like Marilyn Manson, who's just playing off of that so much. And um, 
it just turned into kind of like that pop culturalization where you took this like panic that's slowly like changing in the 90s as we're like our politics are changing. We're not as like madly evangelical as America kind of became in the 80s. And then, yeah, you get these like shocking 90s musicians who are playing on, you know, like even like Slipknot or people who are, you know, just kind of like doing the gag again. Right. And that's a big part of moral panics is people not getting the joke. Um, And then people leaning in. Yeah. People freaking out. And then, you know, I mean, you look at who was it? Uh, Sam Smith did the like devil dance recently, did like a whole state. And, you know, it's like that, like to some people proves their point. They're like, look, look, look. But really, he's just making fun of people. But then people don't get the joke. And then it just kind of spins out and continues to like feed and feed forever. Um, and it's still here, obviously. Yeah. But like literally believing in magic ritual. Like what? How do you how do you get a a guy with a fucking crane <laughs> to go dig up uh, parking. Like, how do you get him to believe in magic so quick? What? <laughs> I know. I know. And I mean, you know, it has to do with like, you have like different people have different like predispositions. It's like, if you're raised in a family where like I was raised in a family that wasn't religious, but like very into the paranormal and like every like part of my research is like the paranormal is like, here's why it's not real or whatever. But I'm like, no, I believe in ghosts. You know, it's like in my bones, I believe in ghosts. And so I think that you're just like a lot of people who are raised religious. I mean, it could even come down to like your brain chemistry. I don't don't think anybody really knows, but you know, people who are religious are more prone to believing in the paranormal. And so I think like, it's just, a lot it just has so much to do with the way that you were raised i don't it's not like i don't think it's a choice people make i think it's like you're just either like primed to believe in something or you're primed to be very um discerning or you know you earn that eventually by changing your mind and working hard to like unlearn things um but i just think that like the people who are prone to magical thinking are ready to go you know it's that confirmation bias they're like i would love to find unfortunately like i'd love to find all this evidence of horrible stuff because it would confirm my suspicion and i think we see that today where it's like people are like look look this horrible thing is happening this horrible disgusting thing is happening and you're like no i have great news that horrible thing you're saying is happening you know whether that be to children or like to your example right it's like there's no Satanist abuse, like that's not true. And they're like, no, it's true, right? And like, you're like, no, it's not, like it's great, it's good, it's good, you don't want that to be true. And they're like, no, it's true. (laughs) And so there has to be some like desire, not necessarily for like the harm to have happened, but for them to be right and know like the truth. Yeah, just being ripe and ready to believe. <laughs> it's so funny because I have this friend uh, who has very bad anxiety. And one time just for fun, I asked him, I was like, what would you do if I told you, if you found out magic was real? And he's like, I can't cope with this reality. I cannot cope with a reality where magic is real. Like, don't fuck with me no. right now. <laughs> oh, that's how I feel about aliens. I'm like, I don't, I don't want anything to do with this. I don't even want to read about it. I'm very scared of aliens. And I very much think UFOs. Like, I, it's like not, it's in the realm of possibility at this point for sure. And I, I can't deal with it at all. Right. I, I would do everything out. in my mind to not believe in it because it scares me so much. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. And maybe that's kind of the point is like you're just doing the opposite. Like everyone's like, I'm going to do everything I can to believe in this thing because I want magic to be real because then I know like I'm going to live in heaven forever. Right. And it's like if, you know, you're if magic's not real and that we find comfort in that, um, we're going to do everything we can to like not believe in magic. So, again, it feels like that confirmation bias thing. Right. So true. The thing is, ghosts, magic, even the devil, none of these come close to being the dumbest things humans have been duped into believing throughout history. And there are probably only slightly fewer people falling for wacky, out-of-this-world ideas now than there was in, like, the Middle Ages. So my producers Max, Pete, and I decided to sit down and school each other on the strangest cults and conspiracy theories we could find. Well, 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 it's time for the Indecent team to join together once again in this edition of our roundup of weird things we research on the internet. It's cults, 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 cults. Yeah. I Yeah, I, I found a good one. I don't know about you guys. I'm excited to hear yours, but mine was pulled again from the book that I mentioned when we did the religious perverts quiz, which was God's Lunatics by Michael Largo. Great book. If anybody out there is looking for something to read about all sorts of faith-based craziness. But this one caught my eye immediately. This one is called The Church of Euthanasia. (laughs) Yeah, big, big fanfare for The Church of Euthanasia. They go hard as fuck. (laughs) I found that there's a lot of uh, crazy things about them, but just getting to where how they got started. This was a group that was founded in Boston in 1992 by vegan DJ and experimental artist, Chris Corda. Boo to that man's oh, 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 wait, wait. But Chris, in fact, the trans daughter of a famous publishing bigwig, Michael Corda. So mm-hmm. she, not not him, but her. I see. Uh, so boo her. <laughs> the main reason I, I mentioned this as a cult, because like for the most part, it seems like a performance art thing and like political statement. But this person, Chris, claimed that she was visited in her dreams by an alien creature called the being who speaks for the inhabitants of earth in other dimensions. And she says it warned her of coming ecological collapse. And that she woke up from this dream chanting the church's slogan, which is save the planet, kill yourself. (laughs) Yeah. That's something we can all get behind. Exactly. So, (laughs) Their whole point of them was they were like, they were trying to draw attention to animal rights. And as mentioned, she's a vegan and she's worried about overpopulation and stuff like that. So they have several founding principles around this church. And the four main pillars of it are suicide, optional but not encouraged, abortion, maybe required to avoid procreation, (laughs) cannibalism, that's mandatory if you insist on eating meat. And finally, sodomy or any sexual act not intended for procreation. So really, you know, I think these are four pillars we can all get behind, right? (laughs) You know, you had me at the first two. You lost me at cannibalism. Cannibalism and sodomy? Yeah. (laughs) Sodomy a better pitch than the the Proud Boy pitch of never jerk off ever. Mm. A little easier to pitch to people to give them an alternative. Yeah, just just try butt stuff, you know? know? (laughs) 
there was after the September 11th attacks, the church posted on its website a four minute long music video titled I Like to Watch, which combined hardcore pornography with footage of the World Trade Center collapsing <laughs> and included a electronic soundtrack recorded by Chris Corder. The lyrics were people dive into the street while I play with my meat. <laughs> and it, it showed a man jacking off and then cleaning himself up with an American flag. So, drop the link. Yeah, <laughs> that just would be a TikTok video if 9/11 happened today. Really? Yeah, true. that sounds really. like a meme account that I currently follow. I'm like, maybe that wasn't appropriate <laughs> right after 9/11. <laughs> so, Kiki, what do you got to pitch us on? What is your cult of choice? Well, you know, this is definitely a weird one. Uh, I believe the cult is called universal medicine but what they're famous for is the esoteric breast massage <laughs> i'm in signed up dad's breast massage <laughs> right like who among us is not in this cult really uh the cult was founded by serge benhayen who was a former bankrupt tennis coach from new south wales australia uh he had no medical qualifications and claims that while he was on the toilet he received an energetic impress and started the cult as a result. Blah, 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 blah. The esoteric breast massage programs are claimed to heal everything from painful periods to breast cancer. Claims which, of course, are ludicrous. Uh, first of all, what do you guys think about this cult so far? <laughs> I think this dude, wow, he was just taking his shit and he's like, I got to find up a reason to be able to touch more boobs. Yeah. In the running for the most Australian sounding person of all time, a bankrupt tennis coach who invents a boob cult. Yeah, yeah. And all the best ideas come from the toilet. Uh, so here's just one example of their philosophy, which has been removed from their website, which I did check still exist. Uh, the breasts are emanators of a quality of divine truth that begins at the heart. The heart in connection to the pubic bone chakra, which is aligned to the ovaries, brings the emanation of nurturing out for all to have. Um, unsurprisingly, uh, this guy turned out to be a creep. A uh, Supreme Court jury found out that he is socially dangerous and a harmful cult, and he indecently touched clients and is a charlatan who makes fraudulent medical claims. Well, I like that, like, to think that that kind of esoteric language he uses would like blend so easily into like bros like a bro talking like he'd be like and the breasts are emanators of light energy <laughs> it's connected to the chakra especially when they are bouncing up and down in a soapy <laughs> sudsy car wash type situation <laughs> you know <laughs> it feels like it's about to go into that as soon as he's given the opportunity well and who are these women that are signing up for this call they're like oh yeah like this is this is the way, but but I did wonder if like at any point somebody showed up and he found like a breast lump, <laughs> and then he actually saved their lives. Yeah, um, I I don't know if you have this information, but I'm curious what the breakdown of men to women in that group is. <laughs> yeah, it feels like going to a nude beach and you're like, hey, there's a lot of dudes here. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, uh, do you have anything else to tell us about them? That's all I got for you. But it, it does still exist. This is still a thing uh, you can sign up for. And they do still have a picture of the founder on the website. So I don't know. They're standing by. And I, like, I don't know. Like, like, is it creepy if you're upfront about it from the beginning? You're like, this is my thing. I touch tits. And people willingly come and let me touch their tits. Like, how, how can you be held accountable? 
accountable for that? I don't know. Like that's a weird legal <laughs> loophole. Yeah, that's like getting shocked that you get herpes from a kissing booth. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> you know, why do people like? Why did that ever exist? <laughs> but I do think it is just for women because if you the first page on their website specifically uses women language. So not universal medicine. <laughs> no, it's really not. specific. <laughs> <laughs> got him. Oh. All right. Well, let's see. We got one more opportunity to find the one true religion. Max, what is it? I think I can say without a doubt, mine is the most successful of the ones that we'll talk about. And I think, I mean, maybe there was other stuff, but I, when we were talking about this, I thought of maybe like the first cult I ever heard of. And I remember my mom, when we were like in the car driving somewhere, heard something on the news and then was like, oh yeah, that's that cult that like get, they marry people in mass weddings. Um, and not uh, the cult of youth in Asia, but a cult that recruits youth in Asia is the, oh. the Unification Church. They're also called Moonies after um, whatever, Reverend Moon, who's their founder. And so they've been around since like the 50s. They have like kind of a shocking uh, number of followers, a little bit like Scientology. Uh, yeah, I went to high school with a couple kids whose parents were Moonies. Yeah, and it's like very interesting because he was like, he was uh, in Korea during World War II, and then when it ended, he was a preacher, and he went to North Korea to preach there and was immediately arrested and put into a forced labor <laughs> camp because that's basically just what happens when you cross into North Korea, I think. Um, so, but he was like, from that, he became very anti-communist, although he's also apparently funneled millions of dollars to North Korea because the unification is like uh, religious and worldwide, but it's also about like reunifying the Korean peninsula. Um, but basically, he founded this like very weird church that has a very new agey um, doctrine, but he does, he's dead now, he died in 2012, but he claimed to be the second coming of Christ. The former prime minister of Japan, Shinzo Abe, was assassinated recently. It was by a guy who did it because of his association with the Unification Church, because that guy was like, my mom got involved in this and she went into huge debt and it like ruined her life and it ruined my life. And then after that, it prompted all this scrutiny. And it turned out that over half of the, they're called the Liberal Democratic Party, which is ironic because they're like the conservative party of Japan. But um, over almost half of their members had some sort of contact or affiliation with the Unification Church. So it's like finding out that like half of all Republicans have some kind of contact with Scientology. Um, and so it's been this really big scandal in Japan because it's like they have been like influencing the government in the shadows as a cult that like raises money from Japanese people in this really predatory way. Two things I'd say, considering how expensive it is to have a wedding in the United States of America, maybe mass weddings are the way to go. Fair, fair. <laughs> yeah. But secondly, it's also not that hard to imagine that half of all Republicans have a batshit crazy belief system. Well, they just, they so do, like, they just talk about it openly. It's not cults because they're Baptist or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like an expensive cult. I'm, I'm here for the cults that give you a bargain. A big part of the whole thing where they got money is they were like, because of the stuff your ancestors did, Japanese people, like you're, they're fucked up and like suffering in hell. So you need to basically like pay indulgences like Catholic style to get them out of there. To which I say, I didn't know those motherfuckers. They made their choice. I don't care who you're my ancestor. You did what you did. I'm not going to spot you 50 bucks because you fucked up. <laughs> also, the the idea that like the devil or demons like care about money 
is like just stratospherically crazy. Like, you know what I mean? Oh, you just got to pay the devil off. And he's like, give him a, a literal bag with like a dollar sign on it. Like, where do you what think, the fuck? Are you- where do you think he gets the golden violin that he plays when he challenges people? To when he goes down to Georgia? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's got to pay for travel in Georgia. That's not free. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, he's kidding. kind of like a crackhead devil. He's like knocking out your window. <laughs> 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 Crack, devil. Right? Like, who's he in debt to? <laughs> it's pretty easy to make fun of people who are that goddamn gullible. But don't forget, whether it's throwing salt over your shoulder or refusing to admit that jet fuel melts steel beams, there's probably something you don't want people to know that you're a sucker for. Before we go back to Chelsea, though, I want to take a quick second to tell you about another podcast we've been digging that I think you might vibe with, too, since you're such a fan of our show. Dawn Brody is a comedian and historian. She's worked for museums around the world, appears regularly on the History Channel, and she's the host of the podcast HILF, History I'd Like to Fuck. Each episode, Dawn is joined by a new guest where they dive deep into the annals of history. From Pompeii to the Salem Witch Trials to Monica Lewinsky, nothing is out of bounds. History's a party and everyone is coming. Listen to HILF wherever you get your podcasts. Now back to Chelsea Weber-Smith. So what is it about, like, I don't know. I feel like people aren't even that religious these days, like most people. But Satan Mm -hmm. has this staying power. Why is everybody so obsessed with Satan? Oh, gosh, isn't that the question? I think, (laughs) uh, you know, I think it has to do with just having a symbol for all the things that we think are holding us back and you kind of concentrated on this one symbol, right? So it's like everybody suffers, bad things happen to everybody no matter who you are. And isn't it nice to have something to blame that on and something that says, oh, here's why our political moment is so horrible. Here's why my life is falling apart. Here's why like my fears are actually real. And I think that that validation is also something that people find some comfort in, which is like really wild, right? But if you think of conspiracy theories, I think it's a really good example, which of course Satan is often in conspiracy theories of just people find comfort in the idea that even if there is some elite society that controls the world, at least someone controls the world. Um, and we're not in this like absolute chaos, uh, which can really scare people. And so having that like easy symbol of evil, you get to be the good guy, all the people on your team get to be heroes against this ultimate evil. Um, and I think that's very attractive. Uh, I know if I you know, had, <laughs> if I had a different background, maybe I would be attracted to a simple story like that. Yeah, it's kind of in the same way that like God is sometimes an umbrella term. I feel like Satan is sometimes an umbrella term, too. Yeah, definitely. I think that's very true. I feel like, okay, first of all, when we're talking about moral panics, urban legends, hoaxes, crazes, fringe beliefs, all the things you cover in your podcast, is there a difference or are they all different shades of the same thing? You know, I think that they're different in that like when we cover something like a craze um it's a little more fun we did the streaking craze from the 70s you know which is very different from doing something like stranger danger about the panic around children being kidnapped by people in white vans right those are two like very different things and i think though what kind of links them all together is that they are an expression of the present moment in politics and culture. So the streaking craze is coming as the sexual revolution is picking up. It's also has to do with sort of the 
changes on campus, like the changing demographics of women on campus, right? So then there's this desire for men to exert this like masculinity, right? I mean, we all remember like what it's like to have someone streak through your school. It's like very much a particular like expression. (laughs) And, you know, you can look at the kidnapping panic of the 1980s as connected to the satanic panic, which was also happening. And that also had to do with, um, things like women leaving the home for the first time and this new blame falling on women for um, not being home with their children. So like the children are at daycare and it was always like the Satanists ran the daycares. That was the story. And all the kids were being abused in these daycares. And if you zoom back and read it as like kind of like a text, you can say, okay, like, second wave feminism has come in. There's been a lot of gains. We're thinking about women in new ways as something other than just a mother. The culture has a backlash against that and kind of this pendulum swings. And so I think that they're connected through how you can read them uh, in culture. And they have a lot to tell us about everything, you know, sexism, homophobia, and also just kind of like the human experience of fear and how the media then plays into those fears to make money and it kind of spins out you know everything's about making money in the end i think yeah ain't that the truth but i spend a lot of time like empathetically thinking about conspiracy theorists i happen to be a former conspiracy theorist myself but this was like during bush (laughs) afghanistan iraq time like i won't get into it too much but i do have like more empathy, I think. I grew up with my dad being like a hardcore conspiracy theorist. So I get the mindset for sure. And I think when you think about it empathetically, people are looking for community. They're looking for people who share their belief systems, which is generally not the belief systems of like what we would call like the overculture. You know, it's like Hollywood isn't making movies about the things that they think Hollywood should be making movies about. So then it's like, well, Hollywood's in on this thing. I know that my friend Bob knows that, you know, and we get together and get drunk and talk about basically how we are the ones who see the truth, the ones who can then maybe do something scary to like save the children or, you know, like, for example, from Pizzagate, right? It's like, I think it does have to do with community and shared beliefs. And in America, that's like kind of hard to find. And uh, and wanting to be like the protagonist in the story a little bit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Definitely like main character energy. (laughs) Very, very much. Uh, Yeah. And I I think that's it, too, is like you get to fight the evil. The evil is simple. If we can take down the Illuminati, then our lives will all, you know, fall into place, which, of course, A, the Illuminati is not real. There are (laughs) rich people who control our lives. Don't get me wrong, but it's a, a lot more of a complicated problem. And that sucks, right? It's like that's another big thing is like how great would it be if there was like one evil group that controlled the world? And if we just blew them up, everything would be fine. But like the actual world is very complicated. So it's like in order to make change, you have to do like really boring things like petition in your community, right? Or like do grassroots organizing. And most people would rather just be like, you know, I'm going to take the sword in the light of God and like stab the devil in the head. And then I win, you know, it's like 
seems more simple to have a concentrated evil villain that then you get to heroically slay with your happy community. So, you know, it's it's like I get it in a way. It's come so far from what I believe, but you know, it's like the simplicity is attractive because if you don't have that, you know, the world's really complicated and scary. You kind of just blew my mind a little bit because like I have this <laughs> pillar of my like core beliefs where I I don't believe in the Illuminati, but I definitely have sure. always felt that there's like 10 people who have all the power. Sure. I'm like, no, no, we just got to take them out. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm literally just like Diet Coke QAnon. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would never call you that. Thank you. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> and no, I, that's like, we did one of our very first episodes was called The Illuminati and it was the history of, of the story of the Illuminati. And, um, you know, part of what we were talking about is like, yeah, like a bunch, like, a group of people do get together every year at this place called Bohemian Grove, which is like the heart of like the Illuminati conspiracy. And they like do, you know, that's where they do their secret evil rituals, et cetera. When really it's like kind of a bunch of guys just like grabbing each other's asses and smoking cigars in the woods and just acting like, you know, like fratty secret society guys, like really lame, terrible guys who do control the world. But it's not, there's no magic, right? There's no, it's just like they're billionaires and media personalities. And sure, there are like handshakes that go on behind the scenes. Yeah, there's networking. Yeah, there's networking. Exactly. It's networking. That's a, it's like very simple, right? It's networking and it does have a major effect on the world. You know, it's like, it's just not like hooded figures who are controlling every single aspect of our lives. It's like there's a lot more chaos than that, and it gives way too much credit to the people who have power. It's different than like, oh, they're controlled by Satan and they're, you know, using Beyonce for some mass hypnotic ritual. You know, it's kind of a different vibe. If she's doing a hypnotic (laughs) ritual, take me. I'm ready. I'm ready. I know. Let's do it. I know. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay. So all of these movements, whether it's like the witch trial, satanic panic, mm-hmm. streaking. Well, like, well, maybe not. Sh- that's a bad one. Um, <laughs> the the ones that have a more morbid, sinister undertones to them. I feel like homophobia, misogyny, and racism tend to be the the through line here, and those are yeah. as, as, yeah. as time. Yes, I do think that basically the heart of all of it is the fear of the loss of power, and generally the people fearing. The loss of power are white men, um, especially, you know, we can trace a lot of moral panics back to the 70s when things were changing really rapidly. Like, you know, black people had just gotten a lot more rights and were suddenly in places like on campus and um, women were suddenly gaining more rights in second wave feminism and, and second wave feminism was like so like, fuck you, you know, it was like very like unapologetically feminist and then there was like the gay rights movement that came in the 70s and so it was like this decade where everything changed really really fast and you know those who had power more affluent white men i think saying affluent white men is is a important thing here because class matters a lot and you know up until the 70s it was pretty like you know, 60s obviously had a lot of movements happen, but in the 70s, we really get um, those changes sparking so many fears. And I think that that relates a lot to what's happening today, too, because, you know, we're, we're in another moment that feels very um, 
it's altering a lot about what America is and what the family is and who has power and who has a voice and who doesn't. And, you know, it's like a great battle, not unlike the 1970s for sure. So, yeah, I think that you're definitely right. But at the end of the day, it has to do with power and losing power. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us, Chelsea. You guys, critical thinking is hard, and honestly, most people are bad at it. The important thing is that you try. And you know what? Sometimes it's a little fun getting spooked. I mean, people have been doing it for centuries, scaring themselves shitless using books, TV shows, movies, about everything from vampires to zombies. And most people aren't worried that those things are real. But as folklore historian J.W. Ocker tells us next time on Indecent, these shared stories have a lot to say about the darker parts of our souls. There's literal monsters and there's metaphorical monsters. With the Dahmers, the serial killers, the genocidal dictators, they're still human beings. They're 100% human beings, but we don't know how to deal with that, I don't think. So we have to call them monsters to separate them from like you and I, assuming you're not a genocidal dictator or a serial killer. I think that's probably also some of the seeds of like prejudice and bias and stuff is that like, maybe we're so vain, it's anything that's not us is a monster. New episodes come out every other Thursday. Giving us a rating and a review is a huge help and make sure other people can find the show. Indecent is a production of Next Chapter Podcast. Go to ncpodcast.com to learn more. If you have something you want us to talk about, a guest you want to recommend, or you want an exorcism, yo, I'm getting certified. So you can go ahead and shoot us an email at indecentthepod at gmail.com or hit us up on social media at indecentkiki. And follow me at It's Kiki Anderson. My producers are Max Wolfson and Pete Musto, and our executive producer is Jeremiah Tittle. I'm Kiki Anderson, and this has been Indecent, where NSFW meets LMAO. Mwah. Ever heard of stoicism? Chances are, if you have, you've heard of stoicism with a lowercase s and not stoicism with an uppercase s. Lone wolves, no emotions, antisocial behavior, cold, indifference, all that is stoicism with a lowercase s. Stoicism with an uppercase s is the ancient Greek philosophy and virtue ethics framework that centers on service to the cosmopolis, to include your family, friends, community, and planet, and the development of a good moral character. My name is Tanner Campbell, and I'm the host of Practical Stoicism, a three times a week podcast teaching stoic principles and concepts to anyone interested through the exploration of texts and deep dives into various moral topics. You can find Practical Stoicism where you're already listening to podcasts by searching for Practical Stoicism or by going to stoicismpod.com. I invite you to give it a listen today. You just might like it. Next Chapter Podcasts.